Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Good, bad, crazy martinis for conservatives today. All of it brought to you by ExpressVPN. Protect your online activities. Secure yourself by visiting expressvpn.com slash martini. Much more on them in a little bit. Uh, Jim, all of this related to the president's COVID hospitalization, but uh, unlike Friday when we kind of did away with the labels given the news of the day, uh, today we actually do have the labels. And the good news is the president seems to be getting better. We know now that for a couple of days, uh, and we should say before we get started here, we haven't actually heard the morning briefing as we're recording this, but we know he's been without a fever for a long time. His oxygen levels are much better. We did learn over time that uh, they had been a concern a couple of days ago. Um, he was obviously feeling good enough to to make videos over the weekend, and it looked like he was looking better and stronger with each one. And of course, he uh, made the drive-by of his fans outside Walter Reed, which we'll also get to in a little bit. But uh, he seems to be chomping at the bit to get back to work if uh, Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, is to be believed. And so that's great news. Uh, obviously, he's got the best medical care in the world. And and while it was uh, necessary to go to the hospital, they're hopeful he could be home as soon as today, and if not today, quite soon. Yeah, uh, you know, it's you're maybe to foreshadow a bit of our bad martini. There's been a lot of speculation, a lot of speculation, I think, has been kind of irresponsible in, in arguably in both directions. You know, for starters, I, I think one of the strange things that I, I, you know, found reassuring this morning was the president tweeted a lot this morning, a lot of all caps. He was, you know, full of, uh, uh, you know, urine and vinegar or, or full of vigor, however you want to you know, characterize it. Uh, we're, it's back to normal for President Trump. We're used to seeing him tweet a bunch. And when he did not tweet very much on Saturday and he did not tweet very much on Sunday, there was kind of this odd, ominous feeling. Uh, you know, we, we were, we've been living under this guy for four years. We know what he, if he's awake, he's tweeting. He's, he does not usually spend a lot of time away from his phone and not weighing in on everything that uh, comes across his plate. And so this is, uh, that was a nice return to normalcy. The videos he put out over the weekend were also uh, pretty reassuring. A couple of people said he looked pale, but that might just be he's not getting his, his usual bronzer or whatever. Um, I probably would have preferred that he had not done that uh, drive-by with the Secret Service to greet everyone outside. Apparently, the Trump wanted to leave the White House, uh, leave the hospital yesterday. He wanted to go back to the White House. Doctors didn't think that was a good idea and said, uh, how about, you know, kind of apparently the drive-by was a uh, negotiated settlement with that. I'm glad that he feels like he's raring to go. I hope he, I do hope he listens to his doctors and follows the doctor's advice. Um, if they say, you know, one more day in the hospital, again, I don't think the presidential election is going to come down to which day he comes out of the hospital. But all things considered, look, for a 74-year-old man who has coronavirus, Trump seems to be in good shape. Uh, there were some genuine con- points of concern, it seems, on Friday and on the weekend, but uh, he seems to be in good shape now. And again, at Walter Reed, you got the best doctors and the best equipment, every form of treatment they could ever possibly want. Uh, and that's a very good uh, outlook for his uh, pulling through this okay. Exactly right. And you would like to hope that uh, anyone else in his situation who's not president of the United States would also have access to everything he's had access to. And we'll talk about all the different treatments and, and medications he's he's been on and uh, and much more as we get into the bad martini. But uh Jim, uh, you mentioned the president's Twitter habits and uh, what you tweet online is your business. Of course, you're 
inviting people to read what you tweet. But uh, your other uh, online activity is also your business. And you want to keep it your business, right? And so when it's time for privacy in other areas of your life, you have privacy. You close your curtains. You close the door when you go to the bathroom. You close your door so people can't just stare into your house. So why would you let people look in on you when you go online? And using the internet without ExpressVPN is, according to ExpressVPN, like going to the bathroom and not closing that door. Did you know, for example, that your internet service provider, like Comcast or Verizon, knows every single website that you visit? And what's worse is that they can sell this information to ad companies and tech giants who will use your data to target you. ExpressVPN puts a stop to this. It creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so that your online activity can't be seen by anyone. You should be using ExpressVPN on all your devices because it works on everything, phones, laptops, even routers. So everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can still be protected even if they don't have ExpressVPN. And the best part is using ExpressVPN is as easy as closing the bathroom door. Not just easy, common sense. You just fire up the app, click one button, and you're protected. And ExpressVPN is the world's number one rated VPN by CNET, Wired, The Verge, and countless others. And like Jim and I were saying before we got started today, not using ExpressVPN is kind of like Lethal Weapon 2. Uh, you know, the bathroom scene that we're talking about, uh, that kind of explosion, that kind of trouble can happen if you if you don't uh, have ExpressVPN and uh, find a way to protect yourself. So if you're like us and you believe your online activity is your business, secure yourself by visiting expressvpn.com slash martini today. Use our exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash martini, and you can get an extra three months free. That's expressvpn.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's talk about the conduct of the media and to some extent the Trump administration over the past few days. On the information side from the administration, uh, things have been a little bit awkward at times. There was the big kerfuffle, I think it was on Saturday, where the doctor referred to uh, 72 hours ago versus being in the third day of this. So there was some uh, discussion about when Trump actually first tested positive, when he started feeling bad. Should he have gone to New Jersey for that fundraiser on Thursday, for example, before he tested positive? A lot of concern that they, there wasn't enough transparency there. And, and of course, uh, the decision to, to do the drive-by, of course, has gotten a tremendous amount of scrutiny. The media, of course, has lit its hair on fire from moment one over this. First of all, uh, it's entirely his fault. He wasn't taking precautions, so he serves him right that he got this. And then pretty much every single medical decision made has been second-guessed and third-guessed and fourth-guessed. Oh, he took an antibody cocktail? Well, that's only in clinical trials. How reckless. This is media people who uh, you know, know nothing about medicine. Oh, they gave him remdesivir. He must be on death's door. Oh, they gave him the steroid, dexamethasone. This is really, really, really serious. I can't believe Mike Pence is traveling to the debate and making other campaign stops. Do they want Pelosi to be president? And then, of course, uh, how dare he endanger the Secret Service yesterday with the drive-by. Uh, Jim, you got some folks out there saying the media's real frustration is that he's still alive. I'm not sure I'm ready to go that cynical with it yet. But uh, there really is nothing that has happened since Friday where the media hasn't been apoplectic. Yeah, and Greg, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to have a corner post up on National Review Online where I went back and I looked at what the press conferences were when President Reagan had his surgery to remove a growth from his colon and it turned out to be cancerous. 
uh, you were just they just drowned the listeners in details. They 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 put out every conceivable. Uh, there's quite a bit of medical jargon, by the way. This is why you usually have the the Sanjay Guptas of the world uh, to explain things that are generally you know generally and not in layman's terms to the larger audience at large. Um, what we saw from Dr. Connolly, but there was not quite as much detail as you might uh, like. Now, as I wrote in today's Morning Jolt. Um, HIPAA, you know, the, the Health Insurance Privacy, uh, you know, Act, th- that basically still is in effect for the President of the United States. You know, if the President doesn't want certain information disclosed, the doctors cannot disclose it against the President's will. Um, that's just the, the state of things. And you can argue the President should be releasing more. And I think it'd be good if the President did release more. But the doctors can't go rogue and decide to disclose all these things. Uh, look, the president was put on oxygen at least twice. That's kind of a concern. His blood oxygen level was below 94. That's that's concerning. And, uh, you know, he had a high fever at one point over this weekend. Um, Conley said, quote, he was concerned for a possible rapid progression of the illness. This is not something you can sneeze at, no pun intended. This is not something you kind of hand wave away as, oh, it's just a precaution. The president would not be at Walter Reed if the people responsible for his health didn't think it was a good idea to put him at Walter Reed. And as we mentioned, it has, you know, all the technology, all the treatments available, everything you could possibly need. It's not surprising the president is on some of these medications. The Regeneron treatment, the Remdesivir, and the, here we go again, Dexamethasone. (laughs) You know, all of them are a mouthful, but again, he wouldn't be on those medications if the doctors didn't feel they were necessary. And there's a reason people kind of raise their eyebrows at the Dexamethasone. Um, previous studies had said that it did not really have an effect on people with less severe cases of COVID-19, uh, those not receiving oxygen or ventilation, but it, you know, can be very effective on those who are considered more ill than that. Look, I think it's safe to say they were genuinely worried about the president this weekend. Uh, so far things are looking good. He has access to all this stuff. I think it's fine. I don't think it does us that again, the more detail you put out to the public, the more reassured the public is that they're getting the whole story. And the, as you said, the confusion about when this first was on set and was he on oxygen, was he not on oxygen? Apparently, um, Mark Meadows, the White House Chief of Staff, went out and initially gave an off-the-record briefing that really contradicted the doctor's assessment on Saturday. Sounded much more dire. I don't know if Meadows was basing that based on what he saw the previous day before the president was taken to Walter Reed. Um, you know, he may have been just genuinely expressing his deep concern about the president, but he also said we're not out of the woods and, and you know, we could, you know, it, it was a very, whatever the White House chief of staff wants to say about the president's health, it should not contradict the White House doctor and the president's doctor, and it should not be off the record and contradicting the assessment from the president's doctor. That That is a formula for chaos right there. That was deeply frustrating. And it basically, for the most of the media, was waving a red flag in front of a bull. I mean, at that point, they basically, uh, you know, everybody started saying, I think he's much worse than they're saying, et cetera. And we're not supposed to be in this situation. Again, both the, the HIPAA and the American Medical Association's Code of Ethics says you can't disclose things about your patient's health the patient doesn't want there. That having been said, you'd like to think somebody around the president would say, Mr. President, not disclosing the details. What was your blood oxygen level? Uh, what are his specific blood pressure numbers? What are, uh, they did say his lung capacity was fine. I think they're testing that regularly. They said everything, give us the numbers, just drown us in information. And the more we've got, the more people will feel, okay, this is a, uh, uh, he's doing fine. He's, he's you know, he, he should be doing okay. Again, this is a time for clarity. This is a time for transparency. 
Um, you don't want to spin the president's health. And look at, like, you know, I don't want to be morbid about it, but like his condition is what his condition is. You can't really spin that. Um, if the president comes out today or tomorrow or the next day and he walks out and he's, you know, looks fine, then people are going to say, okay, I guess he's doing okay. If he's not and his condition takes a turn for the worse, there's really not going to be a way to, to hide that. Uh, the president, it's not like you can, you know, brush this off and it'll, you know, show up page 827. The president's health is, is an A1 story every single day of the week. So uh, I would prefer a bit more clarity on this. And again, I think I'd like for a lot more responsible reporting on this. I don't know whether it's the proximity of the election or just that everyone's become kind of adrenaline junkies in the Trump era, that, we're, that every single development has to be seen in the most wildly dramatized context possible. But I think the public is being poorly served by this. Yeah, two specific examples uh, that, that come to mind is I can't remember where the reporter was from, but he had video of the Trump supporters outside Walter Reed. And I think one of them had a sign and was standing in the median. And uh, the caption was, this has turned into a total circus. And so, you know, if it had been a Democratic president with supporters, I think the reaction would have been a little bit uh, better. Uh, but also what what really uh, uh, was, was hilarious was Jennifer Rubin of The Washington Post freaking out that he was airlifted to Walter Reed uh, on Marine One instead of uh, taking the surface streets. Jim, uh, I'm sure that was the biggest concern at that point. Well, by yesterday, I'm sure she was very upset the president was in the SUV. Uh, <laughs> you know, look... It, you need to get the president to look. If the president is in a situation where you want to get him to a, to Walter Reed, you're going to want him going there as fast as possible. You want to have him not stuck in traffic, and it's much easier to secure the president, both in terms of health and in terms of the standard security necessary for the president against threats, for a helicopter than compared to a limousine. That's the state of things. So I, you know, you shouldn't. It seems like every decision that is made around the president, certain people look for how is this wrong? Right? How is this an outrage? And it's just not a useful context for every single decision, particularly ones about the uh, president's health, because whether you love the president or hate the president, I hope everybody's hoping he comes through this. I, I can't imagine anybody who looks at this and feels any sense of glee. You must have stayed off Twitter over the past few days. Uh. Yes, yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into our crazy martini now, Jim. And uh, given what we just said about the media, sometimes no matter what information they're given, it just gets shoehorned into the pre-existing narrative. So whatever the news is, here's why Trump was wrong. Let's move over now to the Supreme Court confirmation process, where once again, no matter what information we have, it fits our pre-existing narrative, which for the Democrats is these hearings need to be postponed. And if Biden wins, they need to wait until after he gets sworn in and he can pick the new uh, nominee to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Of course, uh, the Senate Republicans are not hearing that. They're, they're pressing forward. But uh, here's what the New York Post reports. Senate Democrats on Sunday continued to press for postponing a hearing on President Trump's Supreme Court nominee, Judge Amy Coney Barrett, insisting the chamber is now too unsafe after three GOP senators tested positive for the coronavirus. Addressing the infections of Senators Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, Tom Tillis of North Carolina, and Mike Lee of Utah, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer said that the full exposure of the Senate or Capitol Hill staff is still unknown. Quote, as we continue to learn of additional colleagues testing positive for COVID-19, it is increasingly clear that rushing Amy Coney Barrett's hearing forward in the midst of a COVID outbreak in the White House and Senate would turn an illegitimate process into a reckless and dangerous one. And of course, he didn't say that with any smugness or smarminess at all. Uh, McConnell has moved to delay Senate business until October 19th, but uh, the Judiciary Committee will in fact begin the hearings next Monday 
for uh, Judge Barrett. Uh, and Amy Klobuchar on Fox News Sunday is echoing Schumer. Mitch McConnell has shut the Senate down because of health concerns. And so we need to postpone the hearings and so forth. So, Jim, they've always been looking for a reason to postpone the hearings. Uh, they've obviously done plenty of virtual stuff since March, but uh, anything to fit the narrative, right? Yeah. Look, you know, I think it was, you know, Schumer comes up with these phrases and he's really convinced they're clever and they're cute. You know, a virtual hearing is virtually no hearing at all. <laughs> well, OK, except you've been doing virtual hearings for every confirmation you've had since March. So like, now you're basically saying, oh, nothing we've done for the past six months is, is valid in any way, shape or form. Come on. Uh, look, you know, the second thing is, is that, uh, you know, Tillis and, and uh, Johnson, I, I'm not sure Johnson's on it, but you know, any, any senator who tests positive between now and then, uh, they're isolating and they should be, uh, but they're capable of doing a Zoom call <laughs> just like anybody else. Uh, they may very well be fine. Uh, you know, 40% of people who get this virus seem to be asymptomatic. So chances are four in 10 that Tillis or any other senator is going to be feeling hunky-dory uh, and just fine. If they're not, then maybe they shouldn't be in attendance. Maybe they should be focusing on convalescence or something. But, you know, they have senators who miss uh, hearings all the time. They've had uh, all kinds of meetings on the Hill with Barrett. I hope everybody's been wearing masks during those. And Barrett is capable of doing one-on-one -on -one meetings with anyone who wants them. So all in all, there's really no good reason to not go ahead with this other than well, we don't want this to go through before the election because we think our guy is going to win and we want our guy to have that stronger argument. That Keep in mind, we're still three months away from the inauguration. It doesn't happen until January 20th. So it's not like, you know, November 4th, Biden wins. Presto changeo, Biden's in charge. The president would still be in office for, you know, November, December, and the first 20 days of January. So you'd be asking the Supreme Court to operate on eight people for that entire period, which raises the possibility of an eight, a four to four split which would mean whatever lower court decision would remain in place. That's that's not really ideal. That's not what you want to do for the Supreme Court. So, um, you know, let's see how everything goes. If, you know, God forbid, there really is a terrible outbreak amongst the senators who are on the Judiciary Committee and all of them are too sick to hold a hearing, well, then that's a different story. And we'll address that situation if it comes to pass. Maybe, they, maybe there will be a bad enough outbreak in the Senate that they will not be able to go ahead with hearings. But so far that has not happened. And the fact that Schumer and Klobuchar and a couple of other Democratic senators are so eager to say, oh my goodness, we can't go ahead with this. Look, we can all see what their motivation is. We can all see what they really want. And they're just looking for any excuse they can find to delay this nomination. And because they don't have the votes, my suspicion is the Senate will not, the Republicans in the Senate will not allow them to delay this process any further. I don't think it's going to get delayed. And I got some more news for Chuck Schumer. That's really gonna make his blood pressure rise. For whatever reason, if there is a delay and there is no floor vote before Election Day, I am firmly confident that Mitch McConnell, regardless of who wins the presidential race, regardless of who controls the Senate, will have a vote on Amy Coney Barrett before the end of the year. Yeah, but that seems like a very safe scenario. I don't care if everybody has to cast their, their ballots in full chem bio suits. They will do that. <laughs> Anyway, Jim, off to uh, a good start this week. Hopefully the president is back at the White House soon. We got a vice presidential debate Wednesday, so um, I'm not sure that we're going to have as many headlines as last week. I certainly hope we don't have as many headlines as last week, but I'm guessing it's not going to be a boring week, so uh, buckle up. Yeah, last week was a long month, Greg. We'll see how this week goes. <laughs> Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget about our great sponsors, ExpressVPN, ExpressVPN. 
com slash martini and get those extra three months free for your online protection. Also, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We always love to see a five-star rating and a kind review. It's very helpful to us. Thank you. Uh, also, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And join us on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit DanaRadio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.